If you've got your Bibles, make your way to Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to jump in there. Welcome out to East Rock today. We, we are glad to have you. And I'm just going to jump in and read that. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore, uh, bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the, uh, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and fell, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not, uh, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what, you have, uh, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and, uh, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word that shows us how you respond to us, that shows us, um, ultimately shows us your goodness. God, help us to see you and walk in your ways. And we pray, amen. This is a story I'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with, a story that's hit up a lot from time. Uh, you know, if you go to the, any kids' Bible school or, or uh, Sunday school classes growing up, you're going to encounter the story of Cain and Abel. It's one that we're probably uh, familiar with. But we basically have the story of Cain and Abel, obviously Cain killing Abel, and the story of Cain and Abel where uh, they're bringing forth two offerings where one was accepted and one was not. Um, if you look at the passage, I believe it's broken up into two uh, main sections right here. Uh, one of them is God dealing with Cain after the sacrifice, and one of them is God dealing with Cain after the murder. I think those, you see those two things happen right there. So the sacrifice and really God dealing with them, and then the murder and God dealing with Cain after that murder. And so number one, um, Shannon or Mary's putting it up there for me. Uh, point number one, we see that God rejects Cain's sacrifice and warns him concerning sin. Um, you know, we've all heard God has re rejected the sacrifice. Now, growing up, uh, a lot of times what I always heard was that uh, Cain was bringing the wrong kind of sacrifice right here, uh, the wrong kind of offering. Uh, so we have one of them bringing the animal, one of them bringing their, the plants, the fruit of the ground. Um, a lot of times what I always heard was this was uh, basically a sacrifice for atonement. 
and, uh, and one of them brought the animal, which is required for atonement sacrifice, and one of them is bringing plants, which does not satisfy the atonement sacrifice, uh, what it needs. Um, I think that's what I was taught most of the time, and then in studying this, I realized that there were a couple different ways this was also taken. Um, the other idea that people have behind the, the rejection of the sacrifice was that um, Abel brought something that was uh, sacrificial. Um, when he brought, he brought a, uh, one of the firstborn, and if you read it and go back to the Greek and study it, it basically means he brought the fattest one, too. So he brought the best of the best. So it's the animal that it would have been the most expensive. It would have been the most costly to give up. And Abel brought something that was sacrificial, and uh, Cain brought something that really didn't cost him anything. He just brought some of the first fruits of the ground. Um, and so it's a couple different theories on, on what that is, but uh, here's one thing that's very clear. You ready? Um, God did not reject Abel or Cain's offering. God rejected Cain and his offering. Make sure you catch that part right there. Um, if you go back and look at it, um, it said, but for Cain and his offering. So for Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. He rejected both of them. So what we know for sure is that Cain did not come with the right heart or right intentions behind his sacrifice. So whatever reason it was rejected, we don't, we're not knowing of it right now. Um, if you're reading this whole story, we're getting, part, we're getting the highlights of it. We're not getting all the details of it. But what's very clear is that Cain was rejected. And you can argue about why it's going to be that way. Um, but it was not, it wasn't accepted. Um, it wasn't accepted. Let's leave it at that right there. Um, number two, it says that God commanded Abel to master sin. However, Cain murdered, then lied. All right, so what was coming up right here and happening is, you know, Cain, man, Cain just falls off right here, right? Cain reveals where his heart's at. Cain, I believe, gets envious over his brother being accepted by the Lord instead of being rejected like he was. And, uh, and you know, his face fell. He did not fall on his face. Uh, I believe falling on his face would have been an appropriate response to what's happening right here. But the opposite thing has happened. His face fell. His it, it, he just his heart changed. His heart shifted right here. You've seen somebody when their face falls. What's an example of something that happens when somebody's face falls? Your, your jaw drops, right? What's the situation where that happens, right? Uh, I'll tell you a meme one time. I've got a video on Facebook. I got, I got chewed out for this one. But basically I had one of those little dandelions that you blow and all the things go everywhere. And I'm like, hey, Micah, blow on this. Micah's like, and when Micah breathed in, I put the whole thing in his mouth. <laughs> And I got chewed out by a lot of moms on that video. Not too many dads chewed me out on that one, but Micah's face fell after that one right there. Uh, also, Micah, he might have gotten sick and threw up because of all the dandelion in his mouth. And I almost got sick myself because I was laughing so hard. Um, yeah, right. something happens where your face falls. You get disappointed by a situation where you thought this one thing was about to happen, and then another thing happened, and man, you, you just, that did not go the way I wanted it to go. And so his heart shifts. And so God then steps up to him and, and basically gives him a chance to respond appropriately and gives him, hey, man, look, we've got sin right here already, and you're starting to go down this road right here. And he tells him, man, something really, really neat we should, we should pick up on. Sin's desire is contrary to you. It's not going to lead you where you actually want to go. 
How many times do we fall victim of, of sin where we think it's offering us one thing and then it gives us something different? Man, isn't that a great lie of the sin? We believe sin is going to satisfy us. That's why we do it. But it's offering something that it cannot fulfill. It will offer us temporary satisfaction, right? We, we do it because it feels good. If it doesn't feel good, you're not doing it right. It gives us temporary satisfaction. A lot of people want to uh, I've seen some preachers at times portray sin like it's never going to be fun. And it's going to be terrible the whole time. That's also a lie, right? We do it because we enjoy it. But it's only temporary. It only, then you need something else, something different. Then he goes on to tell him, you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Yeah, that's hard if y'all haven't caught on to that yet. That's, that's a hard thing to do, right? But I find hope in it. Why do I find hope in that statement? I feel like it's, it's not going to conquer us. There are some steps we can take that it doesn't rule the show. So I look at that, and I don't feel something heavy about sin. I feel light's also not the right word, right? I see what's ahead of me and go, this is going to be hard, but we can conquer it. All right, she takes some honest assessments about it. So a couple little points, subpoints right here. We should not take sin lightly. We should not take sin lightly. In life, when we take things lightly, it always ends up in disaster. Like when you're the number one, number two team in a, in a tournament coming up, and you look, you're looking like, man, we got a Final Four team this year, right? We got a Final Four team. And so you look at that Final Four you're trying to get to, and the first game you play, you come up against Mercer. All the Duke fans are like, oh, come on, Brett. Why you got to bring Mercer up? They took Mercer lightly, right? You can't do that. What happens? They put you out of the tournament. Blair's shaking her fist at me right now. She's like, man. Right? No, but seriously, don't take it lightly because there's also Lehigh. They will do it to you again. Just throw another little jab in there for anybody who likes basketball. Uh, if you don't pay attention, don't play basketball or watch basketball. Duke was number two in the tournament. They had a great team. Should have done well. And two, two different times they got beat by the number 15 seed which has only happened a handful of times and twice to Duke. I should throw that out there. <laughs> I'm obviously not a Duke fan. All right, but no, we can get the point, right? You can't take it lightly. If you take something lightly, it can get you. If you consider something as not being worthy of you or below you or beneath you, it can come in and get you and take you down. It absolutely can. All right, we should not take it lightly. He tells him again, I'm gonna, he says, you must rule over it. Let me tell you this, battling sin is an arduous task that should be taken seriously. It will challenge you to the very core of your being. It will uproot long-held traditions in your life. It will make you consider everything that you hold dear. It will shake up your natural ways of doing things and cause you to examine every motive behind every decision you make. It will change your daily habits of what you consume, of what you long for, and what you hope to accomplish. Make no mistake about it. If you are battling sin, it is an arduous task. And it is a battle that never stops. Like a little kid asking you why. They do not stop. Ever. Ever. Some of you guys don't have little kids or forgot what it's like to have little kids. You're in the bathroom and little fingers up on the door that you've locked, and they're like, why, why, why? It doesn't stop when you battle sin. It's a constant battle. 
but it is one worth fighting because the consequences of walking in sin are far greater. I can't sell it short. We cannot. So then what happens next? Number three. It's all number ones up there for you right there, right? But, but the one that says three on my paper, <laughs> um, the third number one, <laughs> the Lord condemns Cain. What? Nope. There we go. Man, something happened. I don't know if I sent you the wrong thing. Go to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> so the Lord condemns Cain and, uh, and establishes consequences. That's what it should say. Is that what your notes say? Man. The Lord condemns Cain and establishes consequences. <laughs> That's funny to me. We're going to blame Mary. Let's turn around and give her a hard look right there. It's totally my fault, though. Um, the Lord condemns Cain. So in the second section, moving on and picking up in verse 12. I'm going to read this section one more time really quick. Pick, I'm sorry, picking up in verse 10 and going through 12. It says, And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying, from, uh, crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield, its, yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wonder on earth. Man, God comes down and says, man, what you've done is wrong. He confronts him. He tells him he was wrong. And then he gives him his consequences. Make no mistake about it, sin brings consequences. There's consequences to sin. The pleasures of sin are like a flash in the pan. The consequences are live a lot longer. They hang around a lot longer. Also note, there's a uh, transition right here in chapter 4 that's happening. Uh, at the very beginning of chapter 4, what's happening is... Uh, you know, she's having this son, and Abel, and what does she say of Abel? This is a gift from the Lord or a man from the Lord. I've born a son. I've done it through the Lord is what she's really saying. And she's saying, man, this is, this is a hope right here. So they had just fallen, and now they have a son. So there's a new hope that things shift from, from right here uh, with Eve. And then what happens is the exact opposite. Their hopes are now gone, and they've gone further from the Lord. Some commentators say that this is a transition from sin from family in, into society. Um, sin is spreading. It's what's really happening right here. And don't we all know it? It's like a desert. It's going to keep spreading constantly. Sin spreads, and it compounds, right? So it starts off with his envy. His rejection turns into envy, and then the envy turns into hating his brother, killing his brother, then lying about it, and then responding quite harshly to the Lord. Lord gives him a chance to come clean, and what does he do? He goes, no, he, he, he goes even further with it. Am I, my, am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to be keeping up with him? Yes, <laughs> you should be, your brothers. That's part of how you were designed to operate and work. We are our brother's keepers, family. We are. We look out for them. I remember a story years ago when a guy was going to church and, um, he basically stopped going to church, and one of his churchmen, and fellow churchmen that he worked with in the job comes up and says, hey, where you been at? We missed you. It's not your business. Leave me alone, was essentially the response. We don't, we don't want people to, to get into our lives, to interfere with our lives. I believe it was C.S. Lewis that says interference was his least favorite word. He doesn't like the reality of people interfering with his life. You just leave me alone. All right, but we're not called to that, are we? 
We're called to be an active part of each other's lives. We are called to be our brother's keepers. And so Cain is just spiraling, spiraling, spiraling right here. Number four goes on to say, when the Lord established the punishment, Cain protests. Anybody else find this a bit crazy right here? This punishment you've given me is too severe. You're still alive. After taking the life from his brother, I can't handle what you've given me. I'm sitting, and from God's perspective, I'm just sitting there going, God, why should, why should God care right now, right? He, why doesn't he strike you dead? But God doesn't because God is not like me, I guess. <laughs> There's no I guess right there. He's not like me. That's clear, right? The punishment for sin is severe, but it's not unfair. It's not unfair. For Cain and for any that you might face yourself. A lot of times the problem, though, is we are blaming God for consequences that we're living in that come from this lifestyle that we lead. And we're going to blame God for the results like we shouldn't be walking in them. Here's the reality. It's going to be even tougher. Are you ready? We deserve far worse than we actually get. A lot of times we're complaining and saying that it's not fair, but the reality boils down to, no, it should be more than this. It should be more than this. Cain says, if I go out there and wonder, I'm going to get killed by somebody else. You should. You should. You made your bed, now lie in it, right? But look, even in Cain's consequences, even in his punishment, even as he reaped what he sowed, God was good to him. That blows my mind. God protects him and says, no one's going to kill you. And he puts a mark on him, letting people know, leave this man alone. Even in Cain's sin and punishment, God pours out love on Cain. And here we are blaming God for the things that we're in when we've earned them. We deserve it. It should be worse than it is. And we still want to look at the parts we can blame God and say, God, why are you doing this to me? And the reality comes down to we deserve far worse. Let's look at the ways God is being good to us and is allowing us to keep living this life that we like. And he's not striking us down. So even in God's goodness to Cain, it doesn't remove the consequences of our sin. So all these things can be true at the same time. A lot of times we try to say they only can be true one at a time. I think it's important we wrap our minds around this, that multiple things can be true at the same time. So even though God gives grace to Cain, or gives mercy to Cain, I should say, sin still leads Cain to a place called Nod. Anybody know what Nod means? John's like, no, you're wrong. No, it's a place without the Lord. He goes to a place without the Lord. It's where he ends up. That's what nod means. What's the consequences of our sin? A place without the Lord. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord does not hear my prayers. You can't simultaneously walk with sin and God at the same time. You can't do it. 
You can't constantly be friends with somebody and beat up on them all the time. Unless they're Casey, which me and Tim beat up on him all the time with our words. He's, he's a better friend than we are. Right? But you can't constantly walk in opposition with God and still expect to be in a sincere fellowship with him. You can put his name on things, but you can't pretend to be right with him. That's typically our approach with him. We walk in sin and still put God's name on things, but not have a relationship with him. Sin costs us that relationship. Remember it again. It costs us that relationship. So a few points of application here. Um, Know that God's going to deal with it. I told you before, we divided section up into two spots, and I said that the first one was God dealing with Cain after the sacrifice, and then God dealing with Cain after the murder. God's going to deal with it. Anybody ever have been growing up and uh, you get in trouble for something? This happened with me a lot. You get in trouble, and, uh, and particularly with my dad, not my mom. But my dad would say, this is the consequences. And then uh, later on, that happens like on Monday, you know, this weekend you're grounded. And then uh, we get close to the weekend, and my dad's like, what y'all got planned for this weekend? And we want to say to my brother, like, nothing, we're, and like, the other brother shouldn't go, shut up, shut up, stop talking right now. Like, don't remind him that we're in trouble right now. He's forgotten about it. Let him forget about it, and we can go do what we want to do this weekend. Don't remind him of what's happening right here. My mom was much quicker than my dad, which comes to none of your surprise. Uh, if she punished us, she remembered, and we got our punishment. Sometimes with God, we kind of pretend it's the same way. Let's not bring it up, and we don't have to deal with it. Let's kind of hide it, leave it buried there, and pretend it doesn't exist. Let's not stir the waters up. The mud's still there. And God is going to deal with it. Don't pretend, don't trick yourself, don't kid yourself. Don't fool yourself right there. So how, if God's going to deal with our sin, if we're going to answer for it, how do we respond to it? Number, number two application Prepare yourself. Get ready. Begin to deal with it. Get right. My kids have begun to watch sports with me now a little bit, and it's pretty fun watching games with my kids. Uh, well, I say pretty fun. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes they talk too much, and I make them go to their room. <laughs> be quiet. Let me listen to this game. If you want to play and be loud, just go to your room and play and be loud. Um, so we're, we're starting to watch, uh, watch sports a little bit, and they're trying to figure out, you know, who we're pulling for every time. And if, you know, if the Tar Heels are on TV, I'm pulling for the Tar Heels. Uh, though I don't really watch the Tar Heels a lot just because of the schedule and whatnot. So we end up watching other games and different things. And so who are we pulling for? And we're trying to figure out who we're going to go for. You know, some parents, if, you know, you're a Carolina fan, you don't, you don't let your kids pull for Duke or vice versa. And, you know, watching football, like I watch NFL football, uh, who are we pulling for? And I'm a Washington fan. And so you don't really want your, fan, your kids to be Dallas Cowboy fan. But I'm bigger than all of that. I've let my kids pick their own teams, except for one team. My kids are not allowed to be Eagles fans because they are the worst. The fans themselves, in every sport, Philadelphia fans are terrible. If you do not know that, go look it up on YouTube. There's tons of videos that will back what I'm saying. Anybody here at Philadelphia of anything fan? You're the worst. Just throwing that out there. So I've given my kids one rule. You cannot be an Eagles fan. And it was tough for Will because they're the green team, and Will's favorite color is green. And so he's accepted that, and now he'll quote with me, Eagles are trash. It's fantastic. It's really fun. All right? But I've, never, I've not given them much guidelines on who they can pick. So Will always wants to pick the team that's winning. 
So we know I have a team I want to win. We'll, we'll say it. And so Hayden and Michael will pick the team that I'm going for. And Will comes in like, who's winning? I'm going for that team. Go blue team. Go blue team. He has no idea what's happening. No idea of the difference between basketball and football. But he's picking for the team that's up, and he knows his numbers. And so he can tell when one team's winning versus the other team is winning. All right, team we're pulling for winning, awesome. You know, I'm not too big of a fan of Will's approach because I'm, I'm a Washington fan, like I said. And we haven't been winning in I don't know how long. We're always losing. But I'm riding to die. Will, on the other hand, is a bit smarter. Will's, I'm picking a team that's winning. I'm riding with them. I'm going to go somewhere and be a fan of that team. As long as it's not Patriots, I'll be okay. Patriots and Eagles. It's no fool to align yourself with the one that's ahead. Align yourself with the one that's going to win. And it's not Satan, and it's not, it's not sin. Align yourself with God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what the word confess means? To agree with God. It's homo legeo. It's to align our beliefs with God's beliefs. So our typical idea of confession is like that of a little kid or like if we, we reveal information to somebody. So one time when I was growing up, somebody had the bright idea to give us this Nerf bow and arrow, and it was a great idea. It, me and my brother both had one. My younger brother both had one. And it shot a little Nerf dart about that big, and it had a great shot. It would shoot long and straight and accurate. And so we had a lot of fun with those things. But mom had one rule. Do not shoot them in the living room. Cool. Okay, not, 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 not overbearing. I'm mean, like, it, there was no rule about using like a bat and beating each other with them. Just don't shoot them in the living room. That was the only rule. So my, my parents leave us at home. They go to the store or whatnot. And my brother run around playing with them. And we're shooting each other. And we're, but, you know, my, brother, my brother's pretty, pretty agile moving around. I couldn't get him. But I finally figured out his pattern running through the house. And he would run from the bedroom down the hallway through the living room into the basement steps and go down the basement steps out the basement door and come back in through the kitchen. I figure out his pattern. And I'm like, man, I got you now, sucker. And there was this one spot where he would come flying through the living room, and he was a sitting duck. And so I hid in the kitchen, and I heard those feet come down the hallway. I timed it perfect, pulled around through the living room, shot it. It was going perfect, and I had a head shot, and it was a money shot. And it was headed right for him, and he's running and ducks. And it goes right over his head, right into this glass candle holder in the bay window. Falls over and shatters. And he looked at me and goes, uh-oh. And it was bad, right? So he's like, man, we got to do something about what we're going to do. We got to tell our parents what happened. So my parents come home. We did what every kid does. We lied. And we had a great lie. We didn't try to say we bumped it. No, we straight up went like, we were fighting. We were wrestling around and bumped into it and it broke. We had a great lie, right? Because if we told them something dumb, they're not going to believe it. But if they thought we were wrestling and fighting over it, we're good now, right? Because that wasn't the rule. The rule was don't do this. And so we tell our story, and it's, you know, probably told too many details, I guess. It's, but we finish, my mom, my mom goes, bring me the bow and arrows. I'm like, what? But we did this. And she said, no, you didn't. Bring them to me. We were like, how did you know? Probably because we confessed too easily. <laughs> it might have been it. Who knows? Parents, I mean, kids, let me go and tell you. Your parents, your mamas already know. Your daddy already knows. They know better than you. They're smarter than you. They've done that dumb thing you've done before. They know. We thought we were going to get out of it, right? So we came time to confess. 
And typically this idea of confession is we want to tell the truth about what happened and God's up there going, oh, wow, Brett, thanks for that confession. I didn't know that about you. That's not what a biblical confession looks like. What does a biblical confession look like? I'm glad you asked. A biblical confession is to agree with God. It's to come into alignment with what God has said. God has said, this is what this is. And we go, God, you are right. I'm going to believe the same way. But not only believe the same way, I'm going to believe to the point where it changes all of my actions. I'm going to respond to that truth. A lot of times we have a belief and we don't respond to that belief. We say we believe it, but it's not a practical belief. It is not an actual belief because we don't act in that behavior. I believe that sugar is bad for you. But not enough where I don't eat sugar. <laughs> I love me some sugar and all the candy that goes along with it. My kids have been gone for the weekend. I'm thinking about telling them that somebody broke into our house while they were gone. But the only thing you're missing is their Valentine's candy. I've been alone all weekend. I've been eating that stuff, man. We align ourselves with the truth, right? So we have to believe it in a way that it changes our behavior. So God has already made a judgment on sin, all right? So we have to then say, God, I'm going to accept what you say about it to be the truth and align my actions with that truth. That's what it really looks like to confess. We're saying, God, you are right. It's not enough to just give lip service to something and confess with words and say, what I did was wrong, and then go out and keep doing those things. When we agree with God, we're agreeing with the thought that he's already given us to think and through his word, and then we're aligning our actions to it. If we don't align our actions with it, we don't really believe it. We're not really confessing it. We confess our sins. We respond and live the way God has told us to. Let's look at one in particular tonight. Let's look at the sin of envy, because that's what Cain started with. I'll read to you a quote from Thomas Watson from a book called Ten Commandments, but he says, Envy is a sin that breaks tables of the law at both tables of the law at once. It begins in discontent with God and ends in injury against man. So envy is interfering with your relationship with God and with man. And you see this in Cain, and he says, Anger is sometimes soon over, like fire kindled in straw, which is quickly out. But envy is deep-rooted and will not quench its thirst without blood. Envy hangs around a long time. Envy stays around a long time. And what it's talking about and what it's saying is basically and what you see with the story of Cain, right? It, it completely shifted Cain when he got envious of his brother. What you see happen with him is he had a denial of what God said and what God required. He didn't accept what God said, got envious because God approved of his brother, and then it just changed everything for him. It's tempting to, to look at the story and give this like great, big, heart-heavy story on what sin is and the consequences of sin, which is something we need to wear a lot of times, right? But there's also hope in this idea of sin, that it will free us to be with God completely. 
if we recognize sin as sin and take on this arduous task of, of dying to sin and uh, fighting sin, the words he used was uh, master sin, if we commit to that, let's look at the reward we get. What's that reward? It's God himself. It's fellowship with God. It's eternal life right now. John 17, 3 talks about eternal life is knowing God and his son and his son whom he sent right now. Eternal life does not start in heaven. As believers, our hope is not one that starts when we get to heaven and walk with God. It's presented that way in a lot of churches, I've come to realize, is that we're hanging on and enduring all of these things now. And yeah, life is terrible now, but one day we'll have glory. One day things will be good. No believer, you can begin that walk with God today. You can begin to enjoy God today. God says that he is a God that gives us joy and peace and peace that surpasses understanding. I believe that's a peace that is there for us regardless of our circumstances. There are some circumstances where we shouldn't have peace because things aren't good. I just read about a young father in the Timberlake Durham community, and he's Several young, couple young kids, and he, he got put on hospice. You shouldn't be okay with that. You're dying, and you're leaving a wife and young kids behind. Where's the peace in that? It comes from God that doesn't make sense of understanding for, things, for the consequence of this world. It comes in knowing that he will be with the Father soon. He's been put on hospice. He will be with God soon. It comes from realizing that God is sovereign and will take care of his wife and little girls. It comes from trusting in God and letting him change your heart's mind and desires. That's hard right there. I get tired of me a lot of times. Anybody else get tired of yourself? <laughs> tired of getting in your own way? I'm like, man, if I could just be quiet and stop thinking what I think, and I'd be okay right now. If there was just less of me, I'd be a whole lot better off. That's the promise, right? Less of me and more of Jesus. That's the work that he said he's going to do. He will transform me to the image of Christ. So as we talk about sin today, let's not think about just what we're giving up and walking away from. Let's look to what we are walking towards. Man, there's hope in that. But it's an arduous task. I won't sell it to you as anything short of that. It's not going to be easy. But what good thing is easy? Name one good thing that's easy. Clay, work with wood, right? The process of what it takes to come up with something. And from the time of the tree coming down, that's a hard job. Processing the tree, cutting it up once it gets there, cutting all the limbs up around the ground that's left over, Taking the wood to the lumber mill, getting it lumber milled down so it's finally to the spot of something you can make with it. It's, working with wood is an arduous process from, from start to finish. But I like having a house. <laughs> I like having a roof over my head. It's worth it, right? I like having this place that we're in right now. It's worth it. So we have to begin to view sin the right way, that it's never going to accomplish what we actually desire. It's working against us and what we're longing for. And it's always going to be an obstacle. It's never going to pay out what it's promising. It's like the lottery. It's there for people who can't do math. 
the odds are you're losing. And if you won, there's a million others that lost. That's how you got that money. The only one who wins are the people who are collecting the tickets. Not the local people, but the lottery people. It's not going to promise what it says it promises. So let's look to the eternal. Let's learn to desire the eternal things. Let's learn to cherish the eternal things. And seek after those. Let's pray. Father, in the story right here, in a very brief moment, we see the consequences of sin that leads to Nod, a place away from you. Father, that alone right there is enough for me to not desire it. But my flesh is weak. And I'm not very good at battling most days. So, Father, I need you to change my heart, to change my mind, to give me insight and vision. I need you to do what you said you're going to do, to transform me to the image of Christ. Because I know what my ways bring me. I can see the consequences of my decisions around me. Father, lead me to bigger eternal things. Lead me to the everlasting things. Lead me to you and your glory and less of myself. Father, help us not choose the temporary things like Cain did. Help us not fall victim to, to believe in sin's lies. Help us to choose your ways over our ways. Amen.